Hey everyone, just wanted to thank you for listening to Definitely Doomed, the episode by episode Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Also wanted to remind you that each episode of the podcast is a breakdown of each episode of the show, and therefore we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. It's a good thing Buffy found you when she did, because you were about to detonate big time. I've always said she's pretty impressive. You know, she really is. But you know you don't belong here, right? This town? I mean, you're nothing here. Hey. What are you saying? Come on, man, you know it's true. There's nothing for you here. There's her. Okay, right, there's her, and? You used to have a mission and now you're what? Mission's boyfriend? Mission's true love? You belong with us. Hey everyone, it's another episode of Definitely Doomed, the episode-by-episode breakdown of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in podcast form that will not likely take you longer to listen to than it would just to watch the show. Joining me, Ruben, and that time-wasting quest is your friend and mine, we call him Basil. Yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. We all call him Basil. To his face, behind his back. All over the place. Yep. Never not called Basil. <laughs> Except for Sally, who still calls me Baz. Maybe Mr. Soros. Yeah. We meet again, Mr. Soros. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that's how it's pronounced. You've never said it. Yeah, that is <laughs> a, 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 seen a good call. I assumed it wasn't pronounced sores, like open <laughs> wounds. <laughs> Uh, no, although when people call my mother, they often ask to speak to Julie Soares, and she gets upset, <laughs> although she also mispronounces it, she pronounces it Soares, which is how I thought it was pronounced, until I heard a real per- person from Portugal say it, because it was their last name, and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, my last name is Soares. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was like, well, my mom is getting it wrong. Fair enough. Speaking of things that are wrong, today we're going to be discussing Out of My Mind. And it is my turn to do the plot description, which is as thus. Um, So the episode starts off kind of like building on the Riley and uh, Buffy tension that we established in the final scene of... Uh, last week's episode, um, The Replacement, where Riley shows up to help Buffy slay and uh, seems like he's kind of getting in the way and the Spike joins as well and is getting in the way and uh, Buffy reveals her frustrations with both. Um, Then we get a scene of Giles opening the new Magix box or, uh, I mean continue to work towards opening the uh, magic box and more continuation of sort of Riley's weirdness um, finally leading to a scene where um, the Summers family's having breakfast and Joyce turns to Dawn and somewhat surprisingly says who are you and then just passes out uh, where they go to the doctor and um, Dawn is playing around with the stethoscope while the doctor tells everyone that Joyce is fine. And uh, she listens to Riley's heartbeat, and it's going super crazy. Yep. Um, so they they test uh, do some tests on Riley and say that he needs immediate treatment, but uh, he refuses. Um, and then it's revealed that apparently this is something that's been going on with a lot of the initiative soldiers and Graham returns to town you know tries to warn him of what's going to happen but he refuses treatment again and uh Graham and uh, and then eventually sort of like runs away I guess and the gang goes and looks for him and uh 
including in looking for him, Buffy tries to get Spike to help, but he doesn't help. He ends up ki- kidnapping the Initiative Doctor hmm. to try to convince him to remove the chip, but the Doctor cannot do it, and the gang uh, finds Riley, uh, Buffy finds Riley, and gets him to the Doctor in time after some sad emotional discussions that save Riley's life. Graham says, you don't belong at Sunnydale, you should join us back in the military, and Spike has a dream that he has a crush on Buffy. Yep. There you go. What did you think of this episode? Uh, this episode's alright. It's got some... I mean, I like the idea of the Riley storyline kind of a lot, but, um, and there's some really funny stuff with Harmony being awesome. Uh, and I don't know, but I also like some of the humor stuff feels super overwritten. There's like some exchanges between all the Scoobies that feel like, you know, Buffyisms taken to like a real extreme. And uh, there's, I mean, I don't know, some of the stuff with the doctor is very silly, you know complicated neurological procedure and phrases like that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it's like, it's like an okay episode, but I feel like given what it is, I was hoping that I would like it more because it's like a pretty cool idea for this guy who's really, really into his girlfriend and scared she's going to leave him if he's not like a superhero. And so he's willing to almost die because of it. What do you think? Yeah, I like this episode. I feel roughly the same. It's a nice, solid, uh, middle-of-the-road episode, I guess, kind of, you know, establishing a lot of the threads. Um, something that, you know, I think is really cool that I probably only noticed this time as, like, a writing trick is that um, they make it seem like what happens with Joyce is just a way to get them to the hospital to reveal what's going on with mm-hmm. Riley, but it's actually the inverse. Right. <laughs> that the Riley story in some ways is used to cover up the fact that the Joyce story is gonna become more serious as uh, this season goes on. And I think that's really like kind of a clever writing trick because it almost seems like bad writing on first go. You're like, oh, here's this thing about Joyce that's just going to be immediately dropped right. and it's just to get us to the hospital and it's like you could have written that like a thousand other ways like way more organically but it's almost like kind of a trick I think that's cool and uh, yeah the Harmon humor is, is good the spike dream I think everyone likes the spike <laughs> sure. dream at the, at the end of the episode that's always fun and um, yeah it's uh, it's got some good stuff I do feel like that this episode and um, Doomed are the episodes that most people establish their strong Riley dislike based Uh on. And I do have to say, kind of fair enough. Like, I feel like there was a way they could have made the conversation between him and Buffy where he comes off more sympathetic. and they don't do that, which is too bad because I feel like sort of when it comes up again uh, in the episode where he does leave, I think he actually does make a lot of more relevant points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, really like that breakup scene, essentially. Um, so I kind of wish this was a little more mm-hmm. like that, but I mean, it's still a good episode. Yeah. Speaking of maybe somewhat goofy things, I don't know whether or not you like this. How do you feel about Buffy Hawk? <laughs> That's what I, I wrote down. Like she's like perched on like a big mausoleum <laughs> or something. Like Batman. <laughs> and the, yeah, yeah. I was going with um, Nighthawk. Oh sure. Uh, you know, but e- either or, yeah. Very Batman esque. Yeah. Seems a little silly. <laughs> a little yeah. silly. <laughs> Um, Although the thing where the double joke when first Riley shows up and then Spike shows up immediately after is pretty funny. And obviously, yeah. like, since they're building up with the end of the episode to, like, 
Spike as like someone who's also in love with Buffy. It's funny for mm-hmm. to tie it in so early in the episode of both of them being like here to you know show their <laughs> manly prowess by beating up vampires in front of her. Um. Mm-hmm. And uh. Yeah, so like I mentioned in the plot description, you know, Buffy is yelling at Spike for getting in her way, and Riley is, you know, like, yeah, Spike, what are you doing here? And then she, like, shoots him, like, a pretty obvious look that it's almost surprising that Riley doesn't notice, but Spike points it out, of course, because he's very petty. (laughs) Um, uh, And... uh, uh, he has a what I think is a really great line where he says, um, you know, uh, someone says something about knitting. I think you should be home knitting. And then he goes, I've got knitting needles so you yep. can borrow. It's <laughs> pretty funny. I think every time I've seen this episode, the nose blood thing, I mean, I like, Buffy seems way more grossed out by it than <laughs> feels like, well, I mean, given who she is especially, but... I don't know. I've gotten lots of bloody noses, and sometimes I accidentally, like, lick the blood. It's, like, not that gross. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, the continuing in a trend that I've mentioned before, Spike is someone who can talk when there's no one else around, and it sounds, like, pretty believable. And, like, as dumb as it is, the open grave joke is still kind of funny to me. Yep. I like the, even though he says it super seriously, the line, make your neck my chalice, is pretty funny. (laughs) Um, That reminds me uh, of a tweet that I really like. Um, I'm not going to remember the wording exactly, so it's probably not going to be as funny. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's something like, what the fuck is this? A goblet? I asked for a chalice. (laughs) Throws goblet to the floor. (laughs) Um, and then uh, Buffy's new study regime apparently has, uh, with her slayerness, has apparently carried over to her schoolwork and uh, is now um, doing s- pretty well in school. And this is probably one of those Buffyisms that uh, you complained about, although I do think they do lampshade it a little bit because of Buffy's complete lack of understanding of it when Will is like, you know, it's like, am I no longer the smartest one in the group? Should I be watching my occipital robe? And Buffy's like, what? And she's like, well, it's the back lobe of your brain, so should I be watching my back? But back of my brain. Um, The only good part about that is that I will never, ever forget where the occipital lobe is. That's true. Which is somewhat relevant <laughs> to my school yeah, really interests. <laughs> yeah, I think um, uh, that part plus the sort of monologue part about that's probably the worst part of the scene to me is the monologue part about her describing the montage how in the montage she has glasses I was like, this is Oh. It's like way too long for what this joke is. Mm-hmm. Is this also the uh, conversation where they're like joking about the French Revolution? It's like that Robespierre was the coolest. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little. This whole scene is kind of garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Willow. They just needed some Willow time because she. Yeah, the Scoobies are barely in this episode. Um. And then they are headed over to the magic shop, uh, or the magic box, Buffy to see Giles and Willow just to hang. And uh, she walks in, and everything has, you know, been put in order and whatnot. And uh, she says, uh, well, I feel just like a witch in a magic shop. They have a little discussion about uh, brand name uh, magic items versus generic. transposing our boring consumerist uh, yep. things 
right over to the world of dark magics and fantasy. It's true. It's somewhat fitting that Giles is fine with salamander eyes, but Willow's a little snobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always my favorite thing about Joe Dante's films is that, like, he's almost always exploring some sort of fantastical world and yet at the end of the fantastical world is like just more humanity yeah. like the gremlins are just like humans <laughs> and the aliens and explorers are just like humans <laughs> it's just like you can go into whatever sci-fi world you want but really you're just going to run into a lot more of the same issues <laughs> just more ugly consumerism <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down Willow not listening to Tara, but it's been uh, not. It's been long enough since I watched this episode. I don't remember oh, um, what Tara was talking about. Tara, Tara mentions that it'd be cool to get a psychic, and then Tara, uh, Willow's like, "You should be the psychic." Oh, yeah. And Tara's like, "Man, nah, I'm not comfortable with that." And Willow's like, "No, do it." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's like another situation where um, I feel like a lot of people would be like, "Oh." Willow's being encouraging. She's like, Tara's looking down on herself. It's like, no, what's happening here is Willow is not listening <laughs> to what Tara is saying. And she's like, I, uh, it's like, that. thank you, but I'm not there yet. And like, fair enough, you know, sometimes. I remember, uh, again, getting off topic, that there was like a big, like, movement when, um, I think her name is Jessica Williams, who's on The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Um or was on The Daily Show that they wanted her to, like a lot of people wanted her to be the host when Jon Stewart stepped down. And then like she wrote like a thing saying like that she didn't think she was ready. She was like her second comedy job or something like that. And she's like, I've only been doing this for a year. And it's like, I just, she's like, I'm not ready to take on that responsibility. And then a bunch of people were like, oh, it's just because you're a woman or because you're black, you have this low self-confidence. And she had to like write like another letter being like, no. (laughs) <laughs> Seriously, like you haven't been in the comedy world. Like John Stewart was, you know, a stand-up comedian for twenty years before he took over this job. He's like, I've been doing it for like two. Like it's, it's like it's really. I'm not looking down on myself. <laughs> kind of sad. About experience. <laughs> Although then they gave it to what's his name, who seems equally, if not more, inexperienced. So. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems pretty clear that it was, like, supposed to go to John Oliver, and then, like, they bungled the transition mm-hmm. in a way. It was, like, he was so good when John Stewart was directing Rosenberg or whatever it was called that um, he basically immediately got offered right. <laughs> a job and that <laughs> they couldn't hold on to him <laughs> long enough to transition to him. For sure. Anyway... Um, I wrote down continuing more Riley weirdness that he's acting weird and enthusiastic about uh, the new um, training room when he just like tackles Buffy yeah. <laughs> when she walks right there he's like great training room eh <laughs> and uh, more weird weedonisms when she says y'all are like my Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, and Q all wrapped up together. And she's like, Q from Bond, not Star Trek. And while I believe that Buffy would know those references, I don't believe that Buffy would make that reference. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) Star Trek The Next Generation was popular enough in the 90s that I could believe she'd heard of him, but... Yeah. But it sounds like a Xander or Willow line, not a Buffy line. It does. That they just wanted to give to Buffy for some reason. Yep. Because everyone's standing around being awkward. I don't know. <laughs> they didn't they didn't help her out at all in that. She's like trying to be nice and like <laughs> just stood there and looked at her. <laughs> like it's even weirder that yeah. like like why didn't they react? Like like did they uh, like it seems implausible that everyone's mind would be like, Does she mean Q, the evil guy from Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just like the powerful parts of him, right. and, but the you know the morality of Santa Claus. Yes. 
Um, but it is pretty cool that they just built her a giant dojo in what could be used as more storage <laughs> for the magic shop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Xander helping out, continuing his uh, competence as an adult in a way in which <laughs> most of the rest of them actually are not. Yep. Like, as much as, like, they have looked down on him in the past and he looks down on himself, like, he's moving along in the world and... Why is Buffy even in college? (laughs) Like, Willow makes sense, but also not so much, because, like, while she's studying whatever she's studying in college, like, she's really more focused on, you know, this witch Mm. thing. It's like, her life goals. (laughs) Anyway. Carpenter's pretty cool. Some some anti-college rhetoric from someone who will probably spend the rest of their life in school. Yeah. Um, Harmony's on the run ever since the real me. She's afraid that Buffy is after her, and uh, she needs Spike's help to stay underground, stay hidden. And uh, she's like, I'll do anything. And he's like, anything? And she's like, yeah, that's what I said. I said anything. And he's like, anything? <laughs> and she's like, oh, you mean will I have sex with you? Well, <laughs> yeah. Harmony. Dumb, but straightforward. Yep. And also <laughs> assumed sex was a given beforehand. He was the one that wasn't sure yeah. if it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I really like her. He was like, yeah. I, mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, I really like her delivery of the line, I need to hide out so bad. <laughs> yeah. She's, you know, she wants to have sex. It wasn't like Spike was acting like he had to, like, blackmail her into yep. it but no she's like yeah I could go for some sex why not <laughs> she probably wasn't having sex with any of those uh, lackeys from the real right. me <laughs> maybe that and, really uh, upset this up sp- one mm-hmm. Brad yeah. the one who's still just like a high school right. student <laughs> um Taking up smoking because she's a villain now. Spike, hello. I think my next note is Riley Sexathon. Yep, because it cuts from them talking about <laughs> sex to Buffy and Riley doing some sex. With uh, her superpowers and his uh, chemical augmented weirdness, you. You bet they could have sex for a really long time if they wanted yep. to. And he sure seems to want to. <laughs> to me, after a while, it's, it gets kind of boring. Chafing becomes an issue. Yeah. Like, even if you're lasting a long time. Yep. Hopefully they got some good lube. <laughs> um, and then I wrote down, being a substitute is an extremely hard job. Oh, Dawn is talking about how they're going to torment the substitute teacher the next morning. (laughs) And I was like, it's so rude. Like, it's to jump from horrible job to horrible job all around the city. (laughs) Although it made me think, I bet I'd be a pretty good substitute, because I feel like I could just, like, roll with that. Like, I don't think that a bunch of teenagers could actually hurt my feelings, so I'd just be like, meh. (laughs) There, I, there are very low expectations for what I can do today. <laughs> That's an area I can succeed. <laughs> yep, and then we get the thing that I mentioned again in the plot summary. Joyce looks at Dawn and says, who are you? And passes out. Um, and that's also sort of continuing what we saw in Real Me when the crazy person was like, you're not there, I can see through yep. you. And the headache thing from the previous episode. The popular trend in season five is having lots of threads all slowly building towards things coming together. Sad things. Yeah. We still don't even have glory yet, although we have Ben. Mm Mm-hmm. Get introduced to Ben, who's the handsome intern, who I think is cast to look a lot like Riley. Do you think that? Like, I never thought that before. They look like they could be cousins. 
like they have the same skin tone and the same brow and like I feel like especially with where the Ben storyline the Ben Buffy storyline goes that like that sort of makes sense it's funny yeah kind of makes me wish that they had cast someone who kind of looked like David Boreanaz for Parker <laughs> since like that's part of what the Parker storyline is about sure. it's like yeah just trying to replace Angel very quickly <laughs> and could have even had like a funny scene of her like introducing or like pointing out Parker to some people and then like Will and <laughs> Xander being like uh <laughs> <laughs> just like that fun episode of Broad City Never seen it. There's an episode with Alia Shawkat and Alana and her start dating. And then, partway through the episode, points her out to the other, Abby, the other one. And Abby's like, mm-hmm. you know she looks just like you, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then it, She starts dating someone who looks like herself. Yeah, yeah. She de- she starts dating right. Alia Shawkat, who in real life looks almost exactly like her. Like, they look super similar. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's maybe from yeah. There's a just oh, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's a just between us. That's uh, the exact one where um, so like one of the sort of running gags of the show is that when Allison and Gabby met, that Allison thought that she'd made a friend and Gabby thought that she was gonna start dating Allison, <laughs> who was straight. <laughs> um, and so like they've like played up the crush angle, which I'm pretty sure is just like. You know, in real life, Gabby is 100% past at this point. But mm-hmm. in one of their recent sketches, she starts dating a British person who's literally played by Allison. So she looks exactly like nice. her. And then acts like her. <laughs> and Allison finally points it out to Gabby. And she realizes, and she's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, the, the punchline for the Broad City episode is that. Alana didn't realize it, and then she brings it up to Alia Shawkat, and Alia's like, yeah, I thought that was what was cool about it. (laughs) (laughs) I meant that. Who wouldn't want to have sex with their doppelganger? Um, Dawn playing with the stethoscope, finds out what's going on with Riley, introduction to Ben. And uh, Black Lady Doctors. That's true. Always a nice inclusion. Better to have, you know, black main characters, Mm -hmm. but um, it's cool to put black people in positions of importance and power, you know, even in the background to remind people of their worth. For sure. And, uh, it made me wonder why, since he seems to be, like, at a pretty strong risk for a heart attack, why they can't keep him there. <laughs> but um I I don't think that doctors have any kind of power as far as that's concerned. Oh, like really? if you if you are conscious um you can just check yourself like, out of a place. Pretty much <laughs> like they they strongly recommend things, but I think if you want to leave a hospital you always can. Wow. Maybe there's certain things when, like, if you're being treated, like, post-surgery or something like that, and you, like, need specific medication, like, taking care of you and stuff like mm. that, that they probably will only release you if you have, like, another full-time doctor or nurse to watch over you. But... Yeah, I guess... M- for the most part, m- if you want to leave, you can leave. I guess mental hospitals are a little different, but that's because... You might be mentally unfit to check yourself out. Yeah. But not if you check yourself in. If you check yourself in, you can check yourself out pretty much at any time. It's only if you're, you know, sort of pushed in. Mm -hmm. Do you have to stay? Usually. I'm sure if you checked yourself in and then they found out that you had uh, antisocial personality disorder, they could rule that you're not allowed to leave. (laughs) Um, and then I don't remember if this is where I first heard this or if uh, I heard it somewhere else later and then this confirmed it but uh, Dawn talking about the things that the government did to Fidel Castro um, 
driving him crazy with the itching powder. And did she mentioned the exploding cigar because that is definitely real. They tried to kill him with an exploding no, cigar. No, the first thing she mentions is poison aspirin. Yeah. Those are just the two. I know that the itching powder and the exploding cigar are real. I don't know about the poisonous aspirin. Since that one seems more plausible, I guess that it is also real. <laughs> um, do you have anything to say about the scene? Because if not, I want to move on to the basketball scene. Yeah. Uh, just that I like when Joyce says she feels like a lump. <laughs> Yeah, I also like um, how Don's talking about Castro, and then they're like, "Is this really that important?" And she's <laughs> like, "Yes." <laughs> she's like, "This is." It's like this doesn't have to do with Castro. I have to tell you this. And they're like, "Okay, what is it?" And it's like they tried to put a cheap powder in his beard to make him crazy. <laughs> Continuing what I said on Real Me, that Michelle Trachtenberg is just like a perfect teenage girl. That's true. Like, right off the bat. <laughs> Super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, has to be the center. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wants, like, wants to be heard. And doesn't like being dismissed. It's true. So I was just talking about this basketball scene with Marsha on Wolfcast and Pod. And how that even though this season doesn't take place in the 90s, I feel like if the show were to have started not in the 90s, then this basketball playing scene never could have existed. <laughs> that only a show that started in the 90s could have this basketball playing <laughs> scene. Like, the music, the cuts, like, the intense extreme basketball playing. Like, it feels like the beginning of, like, a PSA for something. Sure. <laughs> From the 90s. Like, that you would watch at school when the teacher bringing it back to substitutes was, like, hungover and didn't want to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also... It feels like a throwback, because by this point, the basketball craze was kind of over. Jordan had been retired for a while. Will and basketball fandom. Yeah. You got those uh, Lakers, though. They were pretty popular. That's true. Not, a, not as popular as Jordan, right? obviously. And basketball reached its real lull when uh, Shaq and Kobe broke up. Because then you had like the long Spurs <laughs> and Pistons years, right. and people are just not that into them. Yeah. But now it seems to be coming back. But it's still like number three most popular sport. Yeah. At one point in the '90s, it was number one, even more popular than baseball. And football was third. Just ridiculous to think about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, boxing was the most popular sport once upon a time, and if football doesn't change its rules, it's probably where it's headed. Yeah. Not necessarily because it's going to become less popular to fans, but because less people are going to be willing to play it. Right. And then once you don't have the best athletes, then it'll become less popular to fans. For sure. Like, they just won't enjoy watching it as much as, you know, wherever the best athletes go. Yep. The Olympics, maybe. <laughs> maybe soccer will become popular yeah I mean I bet there's still some concussions but probably a whole lot less uh, yeah I mean the big thing with football is that like literally every tackle hurts the brain like not even just the ones that cause concussions so the fact that there isn't really tackling in other sports is the reason mm-hmm. why other athletes don't have the level of head trauma. Sure. Riley punches Graham in the face. There it is. <laughs> and uh, Buffy's freaking out about uh, Riley at the magic box, and Xander tries to uh, <laughs> subtly hint what's going yep. on with Riley um, by talking about his friend and Anya misinterprets it as him talking about himself <laughs> and it's like I have a friend too and she says that your friend shouldn't worry about whether or not his girlfriend really <laughs> likes him because she does 
And he's like, thanks, <laughs> Anya. <laughs> it's true. All right. <laughs> Poor, sad Riley. Thinks that. Yeah. Doesn't care. Um. And of course, we get the most important scene in the episode: Harmony and Spike playing Twenty yeah. Questions. <laughs> Is it a bleeding bread box? <laughs> it's amazing that it took him that many. If he was asking bread box related questions for most of it. <laughs> I, I don't think I knew what a bread box was before I watched the show. Cause like. Why would you have a box just for bread? Yeah, my I only knew because my grandparents, for some reason, did have a bread box. It was a big, like, metal tin that said bread on it. Um, I mean, I think the joke is just based on the fact that that's, like, a common thing that people say in 20 questions for whatever yeah. reason. Is it bigger than a bread box? Mm-hmm. Um... And then Buffy shows up to enlist Spike's help because um, she thinks that maybe Riley went to hide in the caves uh, that were the home of the initiative and she knows that Spike is more familiar with them from having worked with Adam and um, he is, you know, pretty flippant, obviously, about <laughs> Riley being sick and uh, kind of an interesting decision here. Um, Instead of just, you know, like, punching Spike, which obviously she's done a lot in the past, she slaps him to, like, indicate that even though that this isn't probably physically as painful as <laughs> times she's hit him in the past, that she's trying to deliver some sort of, like, emotional resonance mm-hmm. that maybe he hasn't experienced. And uh, he says that he wants half up front, and she tears the money that she has in her hand in half. And throws it at That's him. That's true. Oh. The first time I saw this, I thought that was very funny. <laughs> How cruel. This is the first of two times that Buffy is going to throw money at Spike <laughs> in this season. Nice. <laughs> it still works. You um, can tape it together. Still legal tender. Yeah. Um... I, and I, I always say that that's payback for season two when um, Willie helps out Spike and then Spike throws the money on the ground for Willie to mm-hmm. pick up. So he's getting payback for having done that to someone that's else. This <laughs> is a really rude thing to do. It is. Throwing money at a person is <laughs> very uncomfortable. <laughs> um... Willow and Tara are checking out the um, destroyed school to see if Riley is there because, again, it's another place that he's hidden out in the year that we've known him. Um, And uh, Willow does a spell uh, to light up the hallways to make it easier to look around. She says, better to light a candle than curse the damn darkness. And uh, she's like, she's like, what is this? And she's like, oh, we did this spell together. And she's like, yeah, but our spell was like Tiny Tinkerbell. And she goes, I tinkered with the Tinkerbell. Yep. And we get some worried looks from Tara, another thread that isn't even satisfied in this season. That, that thread's a whole season yep. away before we really start to follow through on that. Um... Do we see San- Xander or Giles? I, I don't have anything written down if we do. Looking for No, I don't think Riley. so. I think they're gone just... from the episode with Anya after this. Yeah. And I think before this is the episode with the doctor. When? Mm-hmm. Spike. Uh, threatens him. And he's all... Yeah, sorry, yeah, I wrote down Spike Kidnaps Initiative Doctor between Buffy Tears Money in Half and Apocalyptic School. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, the thing that's weird about it, I, it makes me curious about the, like, specifics of vampiredom, because the doctor's like, I could turn you into a vegetable, and I was like, hmm, 
can they get brain damage? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean they do have increased healing powers, mm -hmm. but. So like, if you shot a vampire in the head, maybe like, <laughs> it wouldn't die, but it would be like severely disabled by it. <laughs> An immortal coma patient. Yep. <laughs> Um, it's not anything to do with, uh, head damage, but they do discuss in Angel once that, like, a vampire who's not allowed to feed won't die, but that it can, like, that they, well, I guess it does have to do with brain damage, because they say that it can just, it won't be able to, like, think mm -hmm. straight anymore if it's starved for long enough. That makes sense. That it'll just become... You know, mm -hmm. permanently out of it. Sad. Well, I guess not. Vampires are awful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, we get the scene that's sort of the actual crux of the episode. Buffy finds Riley in the cave, punching the wall, <laughs> saying, doesn't even hurt. Um... And she's telling him that, you know, he has to, she's trying to convince him that he has to go to the doctor, and um, he says, you know, like, that he can't be what he was. She says, that's not enough for you, and he says, it's not enough for you. It's a bold accusation. Yeah, I don't... This is the thing that's, you know, kind of shitty because I think he's right that obviously that there's something, there's a disconnect and that like she's not being vulnerable. Uh-huh. Um, but obviously he's completely wrong that it has something to do with like his strength <laughs> or speed. <laughs> right. I mean, it could be as simple as, you know, what I mentioned in the previous, uh, in a previous episode, which is that he's, like, supposed to be 28 or 29, and she's, like, 20, mm -hmm. 21. Like, that can be hard. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're the type of person who, you know, wants to and is ready to settle down, which, based on what we see in season six, obviously was true, right? right. He was... He was super ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, Buffy accurately calls him out again, just like at the end of season four, you're going to die over some macho pissing contest, you know, basically with my ex. Mm -hmm. um, and again, accurately says to him, do you think so little of me? Do you think I've been dating the last year for superpowers? If that were true, I'd be dating Spike. Yep. A funny line. Once you've seen the whole show. Sure. <laughs> um, and, uh, oh, uh, the other thing that I was going to say is, I, I mean, if you don't like Angel or Riley, like, fair enough, but, like, if you don't like Riley but do like Angel, like, this same scene sort of appears in Buffy, just like, I mean, in Angel, but just kind of reversed, where... Angel becomes human, and then him and Buffy, like, get together, and then he's like, no, I need to be a soldier, and then, like, takes that day back so that he can get his superpowers back, mm -hmm. and in that way, you know, chooses superpowers over dating Buffy, but it's still sort of the same, like, insecure right. masculinity, like, driving <laughs> the engine, at least partially. Um... So I feel like if people like Angel but dislike Riley because of stuff like this, that they're being hypocrites. They're a bunch of dupes. <laughs> I have no idea what my next note is. What's it say? It definitely says, oh no, it says A plus, and, and then, but then it's like the first letter is kind of two things over each other. 
and so I can't really tell. And then loving you is the scariest thing I've ever done. Yeah, that's a good line. And Buffy says, I don't know why. Loving people can be scary. Yeah. And I think they're both too far in their directions to like have like a real healthy, stable relationship. Like I don't it's not the right word to say that Riley is being too vulnerable. Right. Because that's not exactly correct. But he has gone too far into that place where like you know Graham kind of points out at the end of the episode is that his whole life right now revolves around Buffy yeah. and that's not a healthy place to be right. um, and most of his insecurity basically comes from the fact that that's not true of her like he thinks it's the superpowers yeah. thing but it's really just that she has a balanced social life <laughs> yeah and I also think that she's kind of closed sure, off as sure. a person. That is true. <laughs> That's part of it as well. But yeah, you know, it, he would probably have less issues, or at least if he still had the same issues, be able to deal with it more rationally and, you know, sensitively if, you know, he had some good friends or, like, a job that he enjoyed going <laughs> to. Like, because he would have that sort of, you know, fallback of being like, yeah, I really want things to work out with Buffy and it would devastate me if they didn't, but like, I would still have this in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I would still have a life. I could see those things, like, <laughs> still providing me joy and whatnot. For sure. <laughs> and in some ways, you know, not being able to take the risks of, like, being actually honest with someone because you're so worried about things not working out, like, makes it harder for them to work out harder for them to work out for sure yep maybe he should take up knitting (laughs) yeah (laughs) that would be really funny (laughs) that was like when he comes back in season six if like there was just like a scene of him knitting (laughs) yeah their home life Um, she's like "Eh." (laughs) he's just sitting in a chair and his fiance or wife or whoever it is is like hey babe and he's just like, hey, babe. And I kiss and <laughs> goes back to his knitting. <laughs> um, you know, Spike said it as a joke, but turns out I really love knitting. <laughs> um, funny discussion with Harmony when she's staring at Spike's open head mm-hmm. <laughs> about how <laughs> the br- some people say the brain is the biggest and most important sex organ and she's like looks pretty gross to me <laughs> did I cut off is that why you didn't respond yeah uh, yeah just for a second but the yeah like when she calls it pink and wriggly looking um Somewhat, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted the episode to go there anywhere, but, you know, Buffy and Riley show up to where the doctor is supposed to be and find Graham, who's been knocked unconscious, um, and tells them that uh, Spike has taken them. Uh, It's not exactly a joke, but that line kind of works for me when he's like, how many fingers am I holding up? And he's like, 17, and you think that it's like a bad concussion joke or something like that and he's like hostile 17 nice um uh yeah it does totally make sense why harmony doesn't just kill graham but um you know i don't really want the episode to go there either it feels like that would be pretty serious and obviously then there's zero percent chance that buffy wouldn't kill spike if even a defenseless spike if he you know was an instrumental factor in someone that she knows or cares about dying yeah for sure and harmony too she no way she would get away in this episode yeah 
Also, I like the way Graham uh, says, apologize later if you don't die. <laughs> Buffy tells him to get on the horn or whatever. <laughs> I did not like the smoking joke, though. Yeah. More Buffy hates smoking. Yep. I can't remember exactly the context, but Harmony says, aren't we unholy by nature or something like that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, Spike getting really angry. I swear by everything unholy or something like that. Aren't we unholy by nature? Uh, the vampire makeup looks super tan, and it was really distracting. I never noticed stuff like that. Yeah. You're our key guy, as far as that goes. Because they're both pretty pale-looking people, and then I was like, all of a sudden, now they have tans, now that they turned into vampires. But <laughs> it didn't last that long, so it wasn't a super big deal. It's just one of those things that, uh, I guess, like, sometimes, like, more money from makeup doesn't always make it better. Like, uh, in Star Trek First Contact, Data's makeup looks way different than it does in the TV show, and it's, like, more elaborate, but it was really distracting the first time I watched the movie. I just, like, couldn't stop staring at Data and being like, why does he look so weird? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it's not really, uh, important, but I, I guess I'm sort of curious whether or not the doctor tried to operate on Spike and then realized it wasn't going to work and so then came up with this, you know, trying to pretend like everything worked idea or if he just ne decided from the beginning, he was like, yeah, I'm definitely not going to make this guy kill her again. I'm just gonna waste as much time as I can. Hope for the best. <laughs> right. As I think it's uh weird slash funny that um, you know, because Riley is like obviously collapsing at this point that they just operate on on in on him in the classroom that they don't take him to a hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, yeah, Spike wants, you know, privacy, so it makes sense. But, like, normally, like, a hospital is a preferable place to operate on someone. Yep. Although, in this case, Riley's less likely to get an infection because hospitals are breeding grounds for infections. That's true. It's, like, the number one killer in hospitals. It's people getting infections from other people. Pretty sweet. Back to normal. And see, I'm still touchable. Sarah Michelle Gellar delivers that line really well. Yeah. She's doing this thing with her lips this season that I really like. Sweet, sweet lips. <laughs> is there a scene uh, before the the Graham scene? Or is that, because that's my next note, is Graham, you know you don't belong here? Uh, nope, that's it, as far as I can remember. Hmm. So, um, I don't know where they're supposed to be. Maybe the university? Mm -hmm. Graham and Riley are talking to each other. And, uh, you know, it's like, glad you're feeling better, but you know you don't belong here. And uh, Riley's kind of pissed about that. And he's like, used to have a mission, bro. Now your mission's, what, boyfriend? Your mission's true love? And um, this sort of, you know, again, continuing what we were saying earlier, I think... Uh, having a balanced life is important and I think that's what is actually missing from Riley whereas Graham is you know going more along the typical western capitalist ideology which is like if you don't have like a career to center your life around that the other things like because you know I think the most important thing in your life can be all sorts of things like you can have like a, you know, kind of shitty job that just helps you get by and then focus on charity work or... Pokemon Go. Uh, yeah, exactly. 
just love Pokemon Go. You just center your entire existence around it. Um, but you know, it makes sense, of course, since Graham is obviously pretty indoctrinated in the in the army that he would say this. Mm-hmm. Yep, his he's right and wrong at the same time. You shouldn't have a mission. You should have a full life with lots of different things. But he's he's right in the sense that the initiative did at least provide more balance for Riley because then he also had friends and, you know, schoolwork to focus on and, like, a bunch of different things going on in his life. They were all related to that one thing, but now he has none of them. Yeah. And you definitely, if you're the type of person who thinks that you need a mission, like, to get by, like, boyfriend can never be the mission because relationships are too complex to be, like, a plan of action. It's all about being yourself and reacting to the current situation and, you know, being open and all sorts of complex things. It's not Mm -hmm. a five-year plan. For sure. Um, and then we get a scene that starts off uh, where it seems like Buffy has decided she's fed up with Spike, that even though he's defenseless, that she doesn't care anymore, that obviously he's too much of a liability, even without the ability to personally hurt or kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, and she shows up to stake him, and he, he's like, you know, I'm tired of this myself, rips open his shirt, says, go ahead and stake me, and then they grab each other and kiss. Actually, and then he will... There's yeah. a, there's a even longer fake out before you realize that, like, something's super weird, because at first he grabs her and kisses her, and she's, like, all weirded out looking, and then she suddenly yeah. goes, oh yeah, I'm into this, and then grabs him back. <laughs> and then... Yeah, but even into it, they, like, they have a weird energy mm-hmm. with their kissing. That's true. Where it's like, um, even in his dream, where obviously he wants her, like, he still, like, isn't totally, he can't buy the idea that Buffy would just be, like, 100% into (laughs) it. So it's kind of like, my hormones have taken over, even though I hate this. (laughs) Yeah. Which isn't that far off from what actually happens, so. That's true. That's fair enough. Yeah, right. And then, you know, he wakes up <laughs> next to Harmony and it's like, oh god, no! <laughs> That's the end of the episode. It's pretty funny. Pretty good twist. Which, um... So, I, I think I mentioned this before, but in um, a special feature in season four, when they were discussing where to go with the character of Spike, I can't remember if the, um writers like came up with this with James Marsters or if the writers came up with it on their own and then it was just like um it just really fit with everything that had happened before that that you know he was going to develop these feelings for Buffy um but that like James Marsters in one of the interviews in this special feature was talking about how like in season two the very first scene that they have together where he's watching her dance with their friends that like he plays off the sexual attraction Mm -hmm. angle and that, like, you know, he's really into Buffy, even though he's not, like, talking about it at this point, and that it's sort of always existed on his side as as an undercurrent, and it's, like, that's a, it's another one of those things where it's, like, almost like an accidental foreshadowing, mm-hmm. where it's just, like, an actor doing their job, like, creating a full character, and <laughs> they're like, hey, this actually works, this makes sense. <laughs> So tease that out a little bit. For sure. <laughs> Pretty cool. Mm. This is the last appearance at the old Sunnydale High School. Wow. Oh. Makes sense. 
Um, Spike's fantasy of kissing Buffy overtly foreshadowed the entirety of their relationship during Buffy's depression. Buffy was hesitant to start con to was hesitant to continue kissing him, but eventually would anyway in the dream. Their brief words to each other are the most overt. Buffy, I want you. Spike, I love you. <laughs> yeah, what I mentioned before, Riley and Angel coming from the same place, but inverted. Riley's belief that a normal guy was not enough for Buffy was a sharp contrast to Angel's point of view when he broken up with her, claiming that she deserved someone normal. Yeah. Someone who can take her out in the sun, someone who can make love to her. Before Harmony barges into Spike's crib, he is watching an episode of WB's Dawson's Creek, a show that Mercedes McNabb, as well as many other Buffy actors, have guest starred on, which is not surprising, as at the time both were on the same network. <laughs> It's always a funny thing about the reality of television. Like, um, there's an episode of Cougar Town where uh, Travis mentions having watched, I believe, all of season two of Community, which is when they first start mentioning Cougar Town on Community. <laughs> and then, um, I don't, I think it's not until season three. Yeah, it's not until season three that some of the actors and whatnot show up on community right. but if he continued watching it like he would be watching like himself and busy phillips like in the background of one scene just <laughs> <laughs> funny mm. goofs bloopers and continuity errors graham incorrectly refers to sunnydale memorial as sunnydale general mm. <laughs> oh my god international titles um, I'm going to end with the best one. So in Brazilian Portuguese, this was called Fora de Controle, Out of Control. In German, it was called The Initiative Last de Gruben, Greetings from the Initiative. And in French, it was called Con Spike Son Mere, which means with Spike gets mixed up in it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> They're really pulling from a small thread. He's not even that... <laughs> <laughs> Big a part of this episode. <laughs> he does get mixed up in it, though. That's true. <laughs> Apparently, that um, 90s music that was playing during the basketball scene was Nickelback's Breed. Nice. Because you were curious. Um, in keeping with one of the themes of the season first raised by Dracula in the first episode of season five, the uh, show opens with Buffy atop the crypt, lying in wait. She surveys the graveyard and then pounces, killing the vampire before it even rises from the grave. Obviously not protecting the innocent at that point, just murdering creatures of the night. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that is an interesting contrast, like that the in previous episodes almost any of those scenes would be like a vampire is chasing a person and then Buffy intervenes, but now she's just She's just chasing vampires. Yep. Or at the very least, they're given the chance to like come out of the grave, mm -hmm. and then she fights them. Right. But like this one, just like sticks its hand up, and she just like stakes the ground. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Which I don't know, fair enough. But it does seem a little cold and calculated. Right. <laughs> you know, they always show all this, but they never show the boring part of. Uh, the slaying business, which is Buffy reading the obituaries every day <laughs> and seeing who suffered from neck wounds. Because right. <laughs> otherwise, how does she know like which grave to go to? It's true. I don't think she has like a spidey sense, but like can like sit around and you know feel which one the vampire is coming out of. Yep. Just like cop shows, they always leave out the boring paperwork. <laughs> Not hot fuzz, though. That's true. <laughs> Alright, everyone. I hope you are enjoying the podcast. I know I am. If so, 
Subscribe to us using your podcast listening application and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We sure do appreciate it. you have anything else you want to say about this episode? I feel good about it. <coughs> All right. If you thought we had anything else to say about Out of My Mind, you were and are mistaken. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.